Christian, it's Gene Simmons of KISS, online.com. I want to congratulate you on recently celebrating five years of the Bladcast. But more importantly, congratulations to me on my very successful rollout of the Gene Simmons Vault experience, which you can find out more about at GeneSimmonsVault.com. The Gene Simmons Vault is an achievement unlike any other in history because I've convinced people to give me all of their money at once instead of gradually over a lifetime. That's right. For $2,000, I will hand-deliver to you a vault featuring 10 CDs of music that wasn't good enough to release before this. Or, for $50,000, I'll come to your house, do some light spring cleaning, demonize your gutters, or, if you behave yourself, clean your windows with the demon tongue. At each of these experiences, I've appeared with past and present members of the band and other special guests. Unfortunately, as we get to the end of the vault tour, we've had to make some substitutions. For example, in Shreveport, Louisiana on June 1st, the role of the cat man will be played by an actual feral cat with drumsticks taped to his paws. To be honest, Hard Luck Woman will never have sounded better. And on June 4th at Vero Beach, Florida, we were scheduled to have Vinnie Vincent on acoustic guitar. Instead, we're thrilled to announce that we have Marvin Finkelbaum from one of our local retirement homes who is bringing his karaoke machine and will join me for a rendition of Rock and Roll Hell that won't just be good, it will be $2,000 a person good. In any case, it's an exciting time to be Gene Simmons, but it's even more exciting to visit GeneSimmonsVault.com. It's also an exciting time for KISS, but even more exciting to visit KISSonline.com. Oh, and I'm sure you must be plenty excited about the Bladcast, about your involvement hosting 53 shows over there at Snatch Fuzz TV or whatever you want to call it, and of course, the Dennis Miller Ocho and Red Circle whatever. But again, congratulations from Gene Simmons, Vault.com. And everyone at KISS, online.com. Welcome to the Blackcast. It is our second Infinity War podcast. Yes, that's right. Infinity War Machine. Special huge thanks to the one and only Gene Simmons. I'm using air quotes. Of course, our friend Rob Lorich, who will be our special guest on this episode, joining us in mere minutes here for a second installment of Infinity War. So, again, just like last week, if you haven't seen the movie, you can't listen to this because we are raising the spoiler curtain and we're letting all the spoilers just flow fast and furious. No, we don't have any spoilers for the Fast and Furious movies, but we have a lot of spoilers for Infinity War. Interestingly enough, our friend Dominicus Saxon actually saw the movie after listening to our episode filled with spoilers, but he just couldn't resist. Now, that's somebody who has their priorities in order. They put the black cats before they put the priority for the Avengers, which I really appreciate. So, as I said, this is the black cast. I should give you all of our particulars. You can like the black cast on Facebook, follow at Blackcast, B L A D T C A S T, on Twitter, and of course, blackcast.com. Again, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. And of course, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, which I think is iTunes. Might not be the same thing as iTunes. I'm not good with this stuff. But anyway, that's where you can find us. And me, do you want to follow me? You want to know what I'm up to day in, day out? Instagram and Twitter, at Christian DMZ. But as I mentioned, our special guest this week 
will be the one and only Rob Lorich, longtime listeners of The Dennis Miller Show, and honestly, even longtime listeners of The Blackcast, very familiar with Rob. And he and I are going to do our best to talk about Infinity War without going too deep down these little rabbit holes of super-duper nerdy comic book knowledge. Join now by Mr. Rob Lorich on Twitter, at rlorich, R-L-A-U-R-I-C-H. Before we talk about the movie itself, Rob, I think Blackcast Nation and, of course, Lorich Nation will be interested in hearing about the little summer reading list you gave yourself leading up to Infinity War. You assigned yourself quite a lengthy reading list of homework, and obviously, you don't need to detail all 300 books you read, but take a little time and talk about how you prepared yourself for Infinity War. Well, before every Marvel film, uh, I like to read some of the classics that, uh, that they're plucking from, that they're cherry-picking to create these, uh, these screenplays. So, I never read the original, the original Jim Starlin's original Infinity Gauntlet, which is kind of considered a modern classic, I'd say. You knew about it, of course, right? Yeah, that's actually probably of, of a lot of the uh, homework that you would have done. It'd be one of the only things that I did read. Like, anything, because that's 91, I was still reading, like, everything Marvel at that point. And then sure. some of the subsequent things I was kind of out on, you know. Uh, there's definitely things that I wish I'd read that aren't even necessarily Thanos-related, but... Uh, I still, believe it or not, I confessed this last week on the Blackcast, I've still not read The Death of Captain Marvel, Marvel graphic novel sure. number one. Just have not read it. Um, I read it, geez, 20, over 20 years ago when I worked at a comic shop. We had it on the shelf, so I pulled it off one day. Uh, and that was the first Captain Marvel story I'd ever read. We don't, Captain Marvel has never been a popular character in, well, in our comic reading lifetime because he died in like, what, 81 or something. In the early, maybe mid-80s? Yeah, it, I think that's 1981. It's before I started reading comics. So he was already dead. And that was the time period where when you died, you stayed dead. So yeah. we were never really going to know that Captain Marvel. The uh, Captain Marvel that I knew was the African-American female Captain Marvel in the Avengers in the 80s. Uh, Monica Ma Rambeau, Monica I believe. Monica Rambeau, yeah. yeah but who, she, by the way, will be in the Captain Marvel movie. She has a different character name. Uh, yeah. Is it Spectrum, thought, or did I make that up? Um, she was, oh, God. She was Captain Marvel, and then she became something else. And then Miss Marvel became Binary for a while. I remember when she was Binary, names, yeah. I know Monica, Monica Rambeau is going to be in the new movie, correct? Uh, I actually didn't know that. Uh, one way yeah. or the other. I remember Ms. Marvel being binary with the Star Jammers from the, ripped from the pages of X-Men. There's Correct. a great cover. Uh, I believe she becomes binary and Uncanny X-Men 164. Amazing Dave Cockrum cover. But this is the kind of minutia that will very easily get bogged down. So yes. uh, let's let's go oh. two inception levels back to the point you were trying to make. So what I wanted, so I said, okay, I have to read the original Infinity Gauntlet. But because I'm such a completist, I'm also a huge Silver Surfer fan, but I'd never read his early stuff. So even though Infinity Gauntlet was written in 91, or published in 91, I went back to the 1960s, starting with the first appearance of Silver Surfer. I wove in Adam Warlock, another character who plays a major role in Infinity Gauntlet, the original miniseries, and all the original stories introducing um, uh, Thanos. Because I'm like, okay, Surfer, Warlock, and Thanos, I knew because I knew of Infinity Gauntlet. I knew they played a part. So I wanted to read all of their old stuff. So I, I read every run of Surfer from his beginning, all his major stories, up to Infinity Gauntlet, all the Adam Warlock stuff, and all the Thanos stuff. But every time I did that, I'd end up going, well, you know what? If I went back two more issues, I'd read the first appearance of Ego, the Living Planet. So I'd do that. 
You mean pop? You mean Papa Star Lord? Yeah, and and I just kept doing that to the point where what I thought would have been 150, 160 comics at the end totaled out to about 240. Wow, that is a, a commitment of time. But I think that that has made you. Uh, really well versed in you know how faithful this movie was because I like I said I read the Infinity Gauntlet and that's the only thing that I read back sure. in ninety one so you know that's twenty seven years I have not reread it since I believe I still have it and I could have reread it but uh, I just uh, you know didn't have the time for it of the comics you're talking about the only thing I really read was the ninety Silver Surfer the Ron Lim Silver Surfer and I get to know that's, him sure that's what I read fairly I read well about from the that. second half of that originally yeah and I think if we had some kind of movie universe where that character could have been a part of the Infinity War or even Avengers Four. Uh, I think it's a very different movie. And, you know, we've barely introduced Adam Warlock in the cinematic universe. So it's uh, it's interesting that they're telling this story without... I mean, Adam Warlock, they could have somehow put him in a little earlier. Silver Server, they just weren't going to get without making, like, a fancy deal with Fox. Um, yeah, and something I think I tweeted with you and a couple of the other guys about is one thing that was I found kind of intriguing is the three most important heroes in the Infinity Gauntlet miniseries from 91 are Silver Surfer, Adam Warlock, and Doctor Strange. Two of those people aren't even in the Marvel Universe yet, cinematic universe yet. Like you said, Warlock is being introduced. So they were absent. So Doctor Strange plays about, he actually would be a little bit more important in the miniseries comic, but it's, it's a very, very different story. They really did just kind of cherry pick it. Um, in the original story, it starts, he already, it starts in the pages of Silver Surfer, Thanos has the all infinity gems and gems. Now I'm calling them stones like everybody else, but the infinity stones, he has them all. That's the beginning of the miniseries, And he snap. We're doing spoilers, right? Yeah. So this is a, it's a good point that uh, I have wanted to reiterate that the spoiler curtain is firmly raised and uh, the spoilers are, are fleeing, you know, uh, under the curtain, under the iron curtain. We're, into we're Black talking Cast double spoilers because I'm going to be spoiling the film and the original miniseries. Yeah. So if you want to read it, just tune out for whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it starts with him in the pages of Silver Surfer. Uh, he, he'd been dead for, I think, about a decade. Captain Marvel and Warlock put an end to him. Actually, Captain Marvel first stopped him the first time what's known as the first Thanos War. Captain Marvel is the big hero. And that was his greatest rival. Again, he's not anywhere in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but he will be because he's Jude Law is playing Marvel in the Captain Marvel film. But um, so he stops him the first Thanos war. The second one, Adam Warlock kills Thanos, but he also dies in the process. So he comes back to life in the pages in that same run of Silver Surfer that you and I both read in the late 80s, early 90s. Right. Thanos is resurrected by death, the character of death, which is personified by a woman a major character in the comic, again, not in the film. She resurrects him, and it is her uh, her idea that she wants balance in the universe. She's the one who wants to wipe out half the life, the sentient life in the entire universe. He does it, Thanos then does it to please her because he's forever courting death. He's in love with her. So that's where that comes from. But And then it starts, the miniseries starts with him showing up at Earth, at, and, and he says, I'm going to do this, snaps his fingers, Half the population's wiped off. That's first. That's issue one. So it's a drastically different story compared to the film. Right. And when we're able to take in the finished work of both Avengers 3 and 4, you know, there might be some more similarities. But yeah, I mean, this whole film builds up 
to that moment. Uh, I was talking about this last week that I kind of like death not being involved in the story and the idea that he just thinks he's basically saving the universe, that the universe needs this balance. He's going to do it. And his phrase that he uses, the sun will rise on a grateful universe. And uh, this is exactly what I said last week. I like the kind of bad guy who actually thinks they're the good guy. They think that they have the right cause. You know, I love a Dr. Doom. You know, I love, I love, you know, but Magneto's far more fascinating because he's just like, well, this is just right what I'm doing. So to have a Thanos, that's great. And uh, I, I just think they do such a good job on giving us that character and at least understanding him. And, you know, his connection to Gamora is just sort of an, an interesting wrinkle that uh, I didn't really expect that. And uh, it's great to finally get Thanos because, you know, for well, not a whole decade, but for about, what, seven years since Avengers came out, the first Avengers, we've uh, been, you know, teased that, you know, Thanos is coming. But uh, sometimes you, you might have forgotten about him. You know, he looks a lot different now, but that's besides the point. So uh, what is there any one thing other than some of the characters we've mentioned? Is there something that you read in doing all of your homework that you're like, oh, man, if only this had been in the movie, whether it's an interaction or, or a character we haven't yet mentioned? Is there anything in particular that comes to mind? There's an int- in the miniseries, like I said, he snap, he wipes out half the population of the universe in issue one, and then the subsequent issues is the heroes that remain have to figure out how to defeat him. There is a major twist I didn't see coming. It's I think it's six issues around issue five. I think issue five, and I wish they should I am am I talking fully about this? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> please. In in the comic, there's, there's a couple of homages they do. Um, to the original comic. The story starts in the comic book, Silver Surfer crashes through Doctor Strange's roof and tells him Thanos is coming. So obviously in the film, that's Bruce Banner. Yeah. He, he serves as, as the Arbinger of Doom. Uh, and they're trying, the heroes are trying to figure out how to stop Thanos, and he's fighting them. Now at the same time, it, the entire th- thing takes place, the entire story takes place on this kind of floating stone monument in space that he builds to honor death. And that's really where the whole story takes place. Doctor Strange has a group of heroes in his Sanctum Sanctorum. He's trying to kind of like psychically guide the battle, and he plays a, a other. He has another role in there, kind of, but that's main his main purpose. But most of it takes place in space, and the heroes go up there and they get their asses kicked. While it's all going on, he has his adopted daughter, uh, or sorry, excuse me, Gamora is nowhere in the story till the end. Her and Adam Warlock, their souls since Thanos War II have been trapped inside the Soul Stone. Hint as what's probably going to happen sure, between yeah, Avengers exactly. 3 and 4. Um, so, but uh, what's her face? Nebula. who I, Another character I went, well, I can go back and read her origin. So I read her origin. She's introduced as a space pirate, and she claims to be Thanos' granddaughter. I don't even know if that's true at this point, where I am in the comics. So that might be a lie, maybe it is. Regardless, in the, in the, in the films, that's another adopted daughter of his. The scene where he tortures her is a direct homage to the Infinity Gauntlet miniseries where throughout the miniseries, right before the miniseries, he lit her on fire. Wow. And then decided to keep, she, but she remains alive and he keeps her in this tortured, burned state. It's extremely sadistic. And she wanders around like a zombie. At one point, I can't remember if she, her, she gets the gauntlet because he's basically taken on a god form. She takes the gauntlet off 
his body, she regains her full flesh and she becomes the villain for the last issue of Infinity War and the heroes are forced to team up with Thanos to stop her. Now that's a big twist. I didn't see coming and it would have been really cool if they'd done that, but I, I wouldn't expect that to do that. You know, expect them to do that in the film. That's a little bit, you know, that's a, a whole setup and they're placing a lot of importance on Nebula, which they treat understandably so as a side character. Yeah, I think but that it, it makes sense to keep her as a It's a, a great read, character. though. Yeah, exactly. In comics, you can sort of do the uh, the, the last-minute switch, you know, where the villain is actually somebody different, which is something that we get to see in the Marvel Netflix shows occasionally, you know, where the, sure. the, the big bad guy is actually not for the entire season. And uh, you're able to do that. I'm using that example because that's a TV series. You know, you have 13-plus yeah. hours to work with. This is, as long as this movie was, it was uh, not 13 hours. Uh, you know, that's uh, interesting though, because again, like I don't remember the series that well, uh, that's interesting to find out, uh, some of the, like you said, some of the homages to things that had come before. So with your, uh, your, your brain packed with all of this research that you did, uh, how excited were you for the movie and where did the movie itself compare to that expectation? Did it meet your expectations, exceed, fall short? You understand how to rate things. Uh, um, I was very, very, ex I was excited. And then, you know, the week of, I became very excited. Um, I'd say it lived up to my expectations. I thought it was great. I loved it. Uh, Could have been five hours because I just loved it. You know, and, and I'm, we're to the point where I'm so happy with the cinematic universe. And all along, I've been, you know, 85, 90% pleased with them as a full on comic nerd because you're nonstop every second of a film comparing it to the comic. If you've read the comic, like, well, this is like this, this one like it. Some things aren't as good, some things are better. Some, some are improvements. Like, like you mentioned, not having death, the general public is not gonna buy that concept for one. They're probably going, oh, so death is a woman. And B, like you said, it really gives Thanos depth. It puts the onus on him of he wants to do this because he thinks it's right, not just because he's trying to get laid for a chick who wants to do this and thinks it's right. Right, exactly. So that's smart. But um, no, I thought it was awesome. I told a friend, you know, and I think overwhelmingly people have been really good about not spoiling it. Um, and, and just saying, even though you can't really give a non-spoiler a non review, is like, which are all over YouTube, it's like, yeah, I liked it. It was exciting. What else are you going to say? You can't well, talk about it? That's kind of what uh, we were talking about last week was really just this idea of like, you know what, if you're going to do a non-spoiler review of this, I'm actually not interested because you can't really talk about enough of it. I mean, other than yeah. saying it was good, it was great, it was whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I think that there's only so much you can do with a non-spoilery, uh, you know, that, that sort of... There's a lot of movies you can do that with. And I saw people advertising that they were going to have non-spoilers. And I was just like, I, I really don't want to hear that. I want to, you know, get through all the spoilers. And for me, and we'll jump right to the end of the movie, all right? I think I'm stunned that people are reacting to the fact that all of these characters die... And I'm just like, you know, these are, you know, yeah, it's a movie, but it's comic books. It's, uh, you know, and what I said last week was they definitely overplayed their hand when they killed Black Panther and Spider-Man. I mean, that's literally a yeah. billion dollars of box office, you know, the next Black Panther, the next Spider-Man. So it's like, all right, so there's no chance these people are staying dead. If you had been a little bit more judicious in who you killed and, you know, it was like some of the Guardians and it was Black Widow, you know, things like that, you'd be like, Okay, well, uh, there you go. But uh, I, I don't know. I think it's great storytelling, and I'm a sucker for Peter Parker. So even though 
at that point, I was like not invested in the fact that he's going to stay dead. I still felt I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I don't want to see Spider-Man die. Uh, what did you think about the ending? And what do you think about the way people are reacting to it? I loved I love the ending. I had a smile on my face, man, when they were all fading away. Um, and to, well, to finish what I said before is to me, I, I described it to this without spoiling it. I say it's the first event film I can remember seeing in years that to me lives up to the event. It felt like an event, like you're going to see a, a special thing. People freaking out about it makes me laugh. Cause I'm like, really? Have you never read a comic ever? You really think everybody's just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like you said, they literally, they literally kill off everybody who is on the docket for a sequel, not Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth. And Downey Jr. Yeah, all, they're all safe. All all the people that we figured would be dying because their contracts are up. No, they're all still alive. Yeah, you know. So, uh, so that yeah. was that was weird. But I love that they had the balls to do that. And I still think it took balls because they know a lot of. Well, look, there's a lot of people who fell for it. Like you said, there's these YouTube videos of some guy's got his wife and kids, and they're all crying in the theater after they saw it. I'm like, really? Like it's terms of endearment or something? You're crying? Okay. <laughs> But, but, I, but like I said, I loved him. Like, oh, this is awesome. And the sad little Avengers music piano at the end with the little Avengers Infinity War credit that comes up and then kind of fades to dust just like they did. I loved all that stuff. To me, and to me, it was a great spectacle. It was fun. I liked seeing everybody interact. It was The action was great. And um, finally, I think I got, and I liked the Doctor Strange film. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great. But Doctor Strange is one of my favorite, like, top 10 Marvel heroes, maybe top five. And in the first film, I thought they did him well. This, you got to see how powerful he is in this one. You and understand, yeah, awesome. you understand why he's so important and how, you know, if he comes across Thanos a little earlier with maybe one Infinity Stone, maybe only two, he might be able to actually get the whole thing, you know, wrapped up by himself without anybody's help. Yeah. So uh, it's great to see the different kinds of power that are against him. And look, the fact that Iron Man is able to hold his own against him is uh, actually pretty cool. I think it, you know, just shows you that all these, you know, look, comics are often about the importance of teamwork. And uh, sure. you, when you have you know, members of the Guardians and Spidey and Doc Strange and Iron Man all working together and they basically start to get the Infinity Glove off. They pretty much pull it off except for Star-Lord who uh, our, our friend Will Sterling now hates forever because uh, <laughs> he's replaced Tony Stark in the, the, uh, the object of all of his ire uh, basically sure. for that one moment. And, uh, you know... It's uh, it, it's it's a good point because it's like you see them getting the glove off. It was like 20 seconds later, and then you could have shot Thanos in the face, and everybody would have been happy. But uh, well, there, there's out of the, the reactions of the film, uh, there's three reactions I don't quite get. Number one, we talked about people freaking out like they think they're going to be dead. That's just it's kind of stupid to be honest. I mean, you really think they killed them? They're not going to come back? Okay, fine. The second reaction I don't understand is people who not that they're angry at Star Lord in the story, but I've heard some reviews say, well, he does something really out of character. No, it's, really? it's, it's, Have a, you it's not a, seen guardians of the galaxy. Yeah. That's all he does a, is act impulsively and stupidly. Yeah. It's 150% in character for him to have done that, to not think about anything other than the fact of I'm mad. I'm going to do this mad guy thing right now. And that was my favorite, that whole, that the battle on Titan was my favorite part of the whole film. I thought the fighting was awesome. Their plan was actually really cool. And even though I knew they weren't going to get it off him, it still had that kind of like, oh, it's so close. I, I kind of bought into the, the tension of the scene. 
Well, that's um, why that's why it's so good is because they it it could it should have worked. You yes. know, they get so close, and that's why it's good. You know, I think uh, that is you know that there's a lot of great fight scenes that are really well done. But I, I have to agree with you. I just rewatched it mere hours ago, and I feel like that was the part where I'd seen it already, and I'm still like really you know hyped up for it. And the a lot of the action sequences, it's like. No, I don't feel like I'm going to cry, but I'm like so excited with so much emotion, you know? Sure. And uh, like I said last week, I never would have guessed that I needed Thor and Rocket Raccoon to uh, hang out together, but I'm so glad they did, you know? That's awesome. Uh, so, again, there's just, there's so much in the movie to be excited about. Um, one of the topics I want to make sure we get to, and we're sort of doing this very conversationally, non-linear. I don't want to break it down by, and then in act two, but one of the things we just forgot to talk about last week was the uh, fact that Banner is unable to Hulk out. And uh, somebody, uh, Jennifer Yard, I believe her name is, wrote to us on Twitter and said, I must have missed the part where you talked about it. And I'm like, no, you didn't miss it. We just kind of forgot because we were so excited about the movie. Um, and it's interesting. It's mostly played up for comedy. And what we did say about it is that it does give sort of the one bad visual effect in the movie, which is late in the movie, when uh, Bruce has the mask off and you see him there. And it's and like... He, and he's floating. He's floating. And uh, what I, with that in mind, I noticed in like one of the shots of that, they actually had everything in the, in the background blurred. And uh, we were just really focused on the foreground. And I was like, yeah, okay. They, they kind of knew that. I they, don't, why is it they can do all the... That's the one effect they have a problem blending real flesh. Even Downey sometimes when the mask would come up in the Iron Man movies. Yeah. The Avengers movie, it's like you look like a – it's CGI body. It's CGI. I can tell it looks like you're floating in a cartoon. Yeah. A really nice cartoon, but a cartoon nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, what did you think about that? I mean it's uh, mostly played up for comedy that we get to see Hulk. No! And uh, my wife commented that this is a, a continuation from the way that Hulk is portrayed in Ragnarok. He just constantly reminds us of our son, Felix, you know, just sort of <laughs> the very petulant nature of like, you know, laughing at somebody who falls and hurts themselves. And then like, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, what do you think about Hulk or lack thereof in this film? I didn't. Well, I, I thought it was kind of cool. I thought it was a brave move. First of all, the fact that they purposefully put in footage that was not in the film to throw people off was genius. That was on purpose. They, I saw an interview with those guys because everyone's like, well, how come he only has two Infinity Stones when he's got Steve Rogers is holding all that stuff, Hulk running with them all together? He was never supposed to be in there. They added that stuff for the marketing campaign to throw people off. You know, I didn't even remember that. And yeah, that's that fascinating. last shot. I remember with them all running in slow yeah. motion in Wakanda and Hulk's in the background. There is no Hulk in this film. <laughs> well, no, that's not true. In the very beginning yeah, on the Asgardian ship, there is Hulk. Oh, you're right. You're right. I forgot. But. After that point, there. yeah, and uh, I, I think uh, that we really – we don't get him on Earth. And I think that that's actually what it comes down to. Hulk just knows that when he's the Hulk on Earth, bad things happen. So he's probably like, no, I'm just going to make more of a mess well, of things. See, I took it as, my, I took it as he was afraid because he got his ass kicked. Oh, that's it, a when, great point, yeah. When he fights Thanos, he yelps. You've never heard Hulk go, Brr! He yeah. makes a weird sound at one point when he first starts getting beat by Thanos. So I took it as he was afraid. Um, I look, I like Ragnarok a lot. It was way too funny for me. And when I just saw it again recently, it's the whole, it's just too funny. It's like a parody of itself at points. At the same time, it has by far the best, most kick-ass Thor action ever. The opening and closing fight scenes are, and then, well, now this, here's another one in this movie. So I, I still like it a lot. So I don't need wacky banner. 
What I appreciate about it is you have Hulk and the Avengers. Well, you have Ed Norton Hulk. Okay, again, count him. It's I, I like that movie. It's Ed Norton Hulk. Yeah, That's I like that one. Hulk. Yeah, it's forgotten. But then you have the Great Hulk and Avengers one. You have Talking Hulk in Thor, Thor Ragnarok, and in here you had Scared. I don't want to come out. Hulk Banner has to carry the weight. If you read the Hulk comic book, he went through a zillion different permutations throughout his run. So to me, it's kind of like, well, we're getting a different Hulk every movie. You'd get a different Hulk every writer if you read the comic. So I think it's kind of cool in the grander scheme of things. Personally, my favorite Hulk would be the uh, the Joe Fixit uh, Gray Hulk who uh, would wear Course. suits and uh, hung out with Logan, aka Patch, not really Wolverine. Uh, that's a that's a particularly <laughs> favorite. Yeah. He was not Wolverine. Or uh, when they finally uh, abandoned the Patch storyline, I think John Byrne wrote that the Wolverine series at that point. It's like. No, we just, we all knew it was you. We just figured uh, you were doing this for a reason and we didn't want to say like, what's with the stupid eye patch? Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. And uh, the the Hulk is a character that I think is tough to do well because you want to have a Hulk who smashes, but to get the balance quite right between him and Banner, I think that the movies have done that fairly well. And I think it was well done in Ragnarok that we got this, you know, because he'd been the Hulk for so long that he was able to actually talk and, you know, convey his Felix-like emotions. Um, yeah. Are there moments in the movie that, look, we're both saying we really liked it, uh, but yeah. we, in this day and age, it's always important to focus on what you don't like. Is there anything that you didn't like, wish had been done differently? Uh, any thoughts uh, on some negatives from the film? I don't have any major negatives. I liked... Well, like I said, they really for the film, they really cherry-picked two stories. Infinity Gauntlet from 91, and then from five or six years ago, there's a story called Infinity. Now, in that story, uh, it's actually, it's kind of like two events going on at the same time. One is a war in space against some new invading species, which is supposed to be the first, the creators of the universe, which, by the way, Marvel has done like six times. So every, every couple decades, someone comes along and says, well, they were the first beings to be alive in the universe. And then another one comes along. Well, they were before the previous beings, you know, and that's how, as you know, you get the celestials. Yeah. And which... then the watchers have been around for a while and they keep going, they keep regressing farther back, retconning their history. So this new species comes along to attack the earth and it draws the Avengers off the earth. While that's happening, Thanos decides uh, to invade earth with his black order, the black order, his lieutenants which in here he refers to as his children. They're not, they're not really his children. They're just basically his lieutenants, his, his, his you know, officer thugs. And is they're it introduced the, is, in that story. Is it the same uh, group of henchmen like Ebony Maw, Cull City, that, that, that yeah. crowd? Yes, minus one. They eliminated one character. But they ended up then retconning them and saying, well, they've always been around. You just didn't see them before. So he's had them with him for like decades or centuries. or I don't, They haven't really been specific. So yeah, it's Ebony Maw, Proxima Midnight, Black Dwarf, who's the big guy, um, Culvis Glaive, who's the guy with the pointy stick, and then a fifth, uh, a fifth lieutenant, a fifth um, member called <laughs> – it's a female called Supergiant for no reason, but it's one word. So I think it's – I don't know if it's supposed to be pronounced Supergiant. And she was basically kind of a telepath and was – really redundant because in the comics black maw is most is kind of a telepath he really gets in your head and he in the comic in in the infinity comic he gets inside dr strange's head and manipulates him and he can control through words and all that stuff he's not really a physical villain like he is in the film but right. he's still cool because he is mouthy like that with all his proclamations 
<laughs> so they use them, uh, and then and actually, Thanos refers to them as the he calls them the Cull Obsidian. Right. They call themselves the Black Order, or vice versa, and I, and. So instead of calling the big guy Black Dwarf, which sounds kind of stupid, they called him Call Obsidian in the film. I don't even know if they actually mentioned it in the film, though. I no, I, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I think that most, for the most part, we don't really get their names. And it's also like, you know, you don't you don't need their names. You get to, yeah, uh, yeah exactly. But as, to, as for what, what I would have liked to have seen is there's more of them in the Infinity comic. In particular... Uh, in the comic, Proxima Midnight is great. I thought she was fine in the film, although they changed her look in a weird way and they added these those horns on her head. She just right. has a really a cool headpiece in the comics, very Jack Kirby-esque. And I don't they they changed her look, whatever. But she actually speaks a lot. Her and Culvis Glaive are actually a couple, the two who fight together. Right. And they're right. both trying to kill Vision. Uh, they're a couple, and um, but just like in the film, in the miniseries Infinity, uh, What's his, oh, God, his, uh, Ebony Maw is by far the coolest one. Everybody likes him the best. Very cool. Uh, you know, you mentioned Vision, and actually one of the things I wanted to talk about uh, was, uh, it was a point that I was able to make last week, but one of the things that I just figured they would never have time for in the cinematic universe is oh. having Vision and Scarlet Witch together. And Yeah, I was shocked by that. that a awesome. lot of people don't care about it, namely uh, Will and Jeff didn't care. But yeah. <laughs> I loved Vision and Scarlet Witch Together, uh, they had a great miniseries in the '80s, and I, uh, j I always they, liked the two of them. Kids, their kids that were then erased from existence. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is that <laughs> I like the part where they had kids, and they thought they were, they thought that Wanda was going to have a big baby. Turns out they had twins, and I liked all that stuff. But you know, that is my era of Marvel comics. Is sort of like the mid to late '80s. Like I continue yeah. to read after that, but you see a lot of changes, you know, things like that. They're like, well, no, nobody wants that story. And one of the things that they figured nobody ever wanted was anybody being married. So let's, let's blink Peter Parker and Mary Jane out of existence. Uh, yeah. You know, all the, all these things that I've, I've heard about, but never read any stories with it because uh, you know what? They might even be decent stories, but I, I just don't need to read that. I don't need that in my life, you know? And uh, so I was very happy to see vision and Scarlet Witch you know, in the way where they don't spend that much time with it. It's like, oh, yeah, they, you know, they've had a couple of years to kind of work on their thing. So you know that they at least had a, a period of time where they were happy. And uh, apparently in the Marvel Universe, if you're a couple, you need to be prepared to kill the other one. Because uh, you know, Peter <laughs> yeah, has to kill Peter. Long-running long theme. Yeah, Peter Quill has to kill uh, Gamora. And he's willing to uh, with Bubbles. Uh, and Jean Grey. Yeah, right. Exactly. You always have to be. You always have to be able to to kill. Uh, well, you know that's what they say is uh, if if you can't kill the one you love, kill the one you're with, and right. that is, I think, uh, something that that uh, Stanley uh, stands by. Um, so yeah, for the most part, it's really just things that I'm very happy about, and you know, as the you know, people start to disintegrate and turn to dust. It's still really cool, and there's some great moments that you get out of it. But yeah, it's I don't know. It, I'm, I'm I'm not losing any sleep over it because it, it's just a simple matter of like I'm gonna have to wait a whole year uh, sure. to to see how they explain it. And that'll be the interesting thing is like, well, what of the various comic book reasons that you can do this stuff are you going to be able to do away with it? And I like that Doctor Strange saw 14 million different permutations, and he's like the only one, one of them. You know, so he didn't even have to choose. He's just like, well, we got to do that. You know, well, that's 
that's uh, so there are three things. That's the third thing I can't believe people are upset about is I can't believe Doctor Strange just gave up the gem. Did you not watch the film? <laughs> yeah. It, he tells you right there. There's one. He knows the scenario in which they win and what has to happen, which obviously involves him handing over the gem to Thanos and or the importance of Tony Stark being alive. Yes. So he cuts the deal. How do you not? How do people not see this? I mean, and that's why I said Doctor. You know, I tweeted about it. I said everyone's playing checkers. Doctor Strange is playing chess. Yeah. He's three moves down the board. Yeah, exactly. And you know how uh, Spock would play the two-level chess on Star Trek? Well, uh, Tri-level chess. Tri-level, you're absolutely right. Stephen Strange, with all the arms, he's able to uh, play like eight-level chess, you That's know? Right. So he can... Well, he... Now, I don't know if I should get into future spoilers. Uh, well, here's the Ooh. thing, because if, if you have future spoilers, they won't necessarily be what happens in the movie. You know That's what I mean? That's true. So this is, this is the sort of thing where people can opt to tune out. You know, because it's like, okay. if you don't want to hear possibilities, look, there are 14 million ways this movie can go. All right. So uh, I've read about 240 of them in the last three months. Yeah. So, but still, there's still so many more. And it was like 14 million, 650. So really there's still 14 million and change, you know, 14 million, 400. So plenty of other options. Now, uh, have you seen some of the photos that have been snapped of them filming the fourth film? I have not seen those, but... It tells you how they're going to do it. Just by seeing them, it's a b pretty big hint about what's going to happen in the fourth film. Well, we've given people an option to uh, tune out. And also, you know, look, you said they did misdirect for the trailer. Maybe these photos are to also do some misdirect. What uh, do you see from these photos? They're street shots in presumably New York. You know, whenever they shoot in New York, you can't hide people from taking pictures. And you can't prevent them from taking pictures from skyscrapers on the street. They're pictures on set of Robert Downey Jr. with very light colored hair, either blondish or like, I don't know if it's supposed to be grayish, with Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth, both of whom are in their Avengers 1 uniforms. It's going to be a time travel story, at least an element of time travel. And Ant-Man's there and Spider-Man. So it's a mishmash of, it looks like an older Tony Stark. Right. Like he may go back to the first Avengers film. Interesting. Well, I think that that would be cool. And, you know, my expectation oh, is... Oh, and I forgot to mention a detail. Every character has, they have these weird kind of watch looking things on their wrist, which a lot of people are kind of presuming are going to be some kind of time travel device. A la um, Captain Jack from Doctor Who. Right. I was actually... I've... See that—that's how well versed you and I are. The same person, Christian. That's how well versed I am in Doctor Who now. I was actually going to say like, "Oh, I," but you beat me to it. Uh, yep. So you uh, outnerded me. Well done, sir. Because um, I saw the future. I told yeah, you that. You did. I know. Well, you've seen 14 million different ways yeah. that this podcast can go, and all of them leave the listeners with big smiles on their face. That's right. Uh, so I find all of that to be interesting. Uh, I look. I love a good uh, time travel story. And I think it'll be fun to see how they do it. I think that Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, for the majority of the movie, won't actually tie into this. I think that the bulk of the movie will happen song. either before this or concurrently with it. And yeah. then I think it ends up with them, you know, just ever so slightly advancing the story. Um, let's talk about the end credits scene, which is, of course, Nick Fury uh, sending a, a, a great... 
he's paging Captain Marvel because the Captain Marvel film is set in the 90s. Something that Will and Jeff were not aware of, and I don't dig deep in spoilers, but I thought everybody knew that the Captain Marvel movie was going to be set in the 90s. Yeah, I'm excited. Well, A, I thought that ending was great, and that's the only time I was a visible like, nerd where I went, ooh, Captain Marvel! Like, you know, to my <laughs> yeah. friend next to me because I got all excited. Wow. Because I was hoping we'd see her. Yeah. Um, I think in one in one permutation of the script, she was in it, but uh, I think oh, it's wait. it's best to save her for uh, for later. Yeah. Um, so seeing the symbol got me excited. Carol Danvers, I've said for years, is probably my favorite female Marvel hero. I'm a huge Miss Marvel fan. I read her la- the last run that was as Miss Marvel, and I think it ran forty maybe some or forty some almost fifty issues. I I bought and I read that whole thing. So now, wait, really when, when was this run? Like, so I know the original series when she's got like the, you know, she's got like the Dallas Cowboys cheerleader where you can see her stomach and then it goes into the blue uniform for when she was an Avenger. And uh, like that, that era of the Avengers is before my time, but I don't even know exactly. I just remember getting a bunch of the back issues cheap. So like around Avengers 200, when she was on the Avengers, I've read a lot of those stories, you know, before... Sure she meets Rogue in Avengers Annual 10. So uh, that's the Carol Danvers, Ms. Marvel I'm familiar with pre-binary. Is there another run that you're talking about that is after that? The run I'm talking about was from, I think it ended around eight years ago, I want to say. I think. Um, I haven't bought, I haven't bought a, a Marvel comic in ages. But I, I want to say it started in 2011. Maybe that's right. Okay. Or, no, it, had, it couldn't have been that. I think it ended then. But it's around there. And it ran for about 50 issues. And she was still wearing that kind of like, it looked like a dark one-piece bathing suit. And then she'd wear this kind of red sash around her hips. Yeah, that's that's yeah. fairly close the to, the, to the look she had when she was a member of the Avengers. That was her later one. And then finally, and I haven't read any of her run as Captain Marvel, but in the comics, they finally, and I guess Captain America came up to her in the comic and said, look, Captain Marvel, who was your mentor, the original Mar- Captain Marvel from Marvel Comics, um, he'd want you to take this name. You, you honor him by doing so. So it was actually a really sweet moment where so then she started to call herself Captain Marvel because she's like a, she's an Air Force pilot. I think she's a captain. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, a, it has a double meaning for her. Well, but it's I'm also, it's, it's also it. like just the, the moniker Miz is such a product of the time where they created yeah, so the character. Yeah. And I, I believe that Pac-Man would want Ms. Pac-Man to be Captain Pac-Man at this point. I, I mean, agree. You it know, I mean, if you think about all the battles she's been in, all the ghosts she's eaten and avoided, uh, I think it's time. Let's start a petition. Make Ms. Pac-Man Captain Pac-Man. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, yeah. So I've gotten more excited about the Captain Marvel movie uh, as you know, little bits have leaked out about it. You see set photos that have Agent Coulson, that have uh, Nick Fury uh, with hair and two eyes. You know, so uh, I think that uh, it's going to be great because I think that what happens in that movie is going to be so essential to the way that Avengers Four plays out. And I also feel like C- Captain Marvel, Ms. Marvel, whatever Captain Marvel is such a super powerful character that. Uh, you know, if they'd had her in this movie, she probably would have been able to prevent Thanos from getting all the stones and actually blinking out half of humanity. You know, we don't have, as we said, we don't have Adam Warlock. We don't have Silver Surfer. But I see her on the same scale as those characters. Am I giving her too much credit? Uh, no, she's she's alpha level. I think they actually don't they refer to them like that in the Marvel Universe to like I, alpha level threat or whatever. Yeah, I think level. I think you're right. And I think it was something that like the old uh, official handbook of the Marvel Universe would yeah. I think list that. Yeah, she's equivalent to like a Wonder Woman, but 
between a Wonder Woman and a Superman. And Wonder Woman's close to Superman, but Superman's still like kind of number one, and then like maybe in DC Captain Adam. Right. But she's that strong. So without, um, hey, you know what? Almost any era, they later created a character called Sentry about, I don't know, 15, maybe 20 years ago that they retconned into Marvel. And he was basically Superman level, but he was also insane. So he was unreliable because he had like schizophrenia. It was crazy character. Interesting, but crazy. But she's like, yeah, she's alpha level. In the, in the first Thanos war, Captain Marvel defeated Thanos uh, by destroying the Cosmic Cube, which fans of the films and not of the comics would know as the Tesseract. Yes. Didn't have a, didn't have a stone in it. Those are separate things. But he was going to take, he was basically going to turn himself into a god, Thanos was, using the Cosmic Cube. And Captain Marvel physically can go toe to toe with them, uh, but it came. But once Thanos became a god, the Avengers got involved. They distracted him, blah blah. blah and basically, Captain Marvel destroys the cube. Um, so he, I assume, I haven't read, I haven't read a, a Ms. Marvel in years, and I'm going to be reading the original Captain Marvel run. I've never read it in its entirety, and all of her runs leading up to the Captain Marvel movie. So I'll find out. I can get back to you on that. Yeah, please she's, do. Yep. She's as tough as you can get. I'm super psyched for that film. The fact that they're setting it in the 90s is kind of cool. The fact that they're introducing the Skrulls into the MCU Yeah, that, is really that's cool. what I wanted to kind of transition to is because they're characters that we haven't dealt with. And from, you know, sort of a weird logistics licensing standpoint, I wasn't sure that we could get the Skrulls because I think of them with the Fantastic Four. So that they debuted in there, and I thought I thought that's what was the, the legal, you know, how that happened. Or yeah. if it debuts in that, I figured, okay, that means uh, Fox has the rights to Skrulls exclusive, and they don't apparently. So yeah, which is great. Although we won't get the Super Skrull who has the power of all four members of the Fantastic Four. You know, which but awesome. actually, that's uh-huh. probably not true. We probably can get a Super Skrull, by the way, that has powers of other people. But uh, oh, and, that's true. By the way, with that movie set in the '90s. Uh, the game that I'm going to play with people as it gets closer, how many minutes into the film before you hear that third eye blind song, <laughs> you know, <laughs> semi charm life. Yeah. yeah. That will definitely play in that movie. I have no doubt in my mind. Now that you're saying that it's going to be an all 90s <laughs> soundtrack. I just, oh, I didn't think of that. That might I, not be good. If I don't know if they want me to cultivate the soundtrack for free, I will tell them, you know, here's, you know, here's the Smash Mouth song you need to use. Here's the Soul Asylum song you need to use. You know, I believe me, I'm I, I'm ready to help. I will get you a I'll get you a Guardians of the Galaxy level soundtrack, only pulled from the '90s. I'm happy to help. Just I always thought come I always thought me. she'd be a, a tricky character to adapt, just because you're if they're not doing the original Captain Marvel, Marvel. Yeah. But Jude Law is playing him, and to me, that's such a bonus. Is I get to see him and her, and see you know you'll see all that in in a, like a two hour film. Yeah, I, I feel I, like he's, you know, I, I think I told you on Twitter, having read those 240 books leading up to the film, I have a whole new appreciation for the original Captain Marvel. He was a great big hero in the 70s, and then he died in the, in you know the 8081 or whatever, and to this day, he may be the only hero that has stayed dead. Cuz the only and whenever they brought him back, it, they basically pulled him out of time and then put him back in the time, but they never actually fully resurrected him. You know what I mean? So they get they they did the uh, the Clara Oswalt treatment where she yeah, still you pull, dies. They pull him out. They go on an adventure. Yeah. And then he, but he has to go back so he doesn't disturb the time stream. And they probably wipe his memory. So they've done that, or people have gone back to visit him. But he has never actually fully come back. 
I think that that's great, actually. It is. Uh, well, it I, used I, to be Bucky, and then they brought Bucky yeah, back. Well, yeah, but it was awesome as Winter Soldier. So. Yeah, I know. That's that's exactly what I was going to say. It's like, yeah, I know. You, you kind of wish some of these people stayed dead. Um, and so far, by the way, I don't know that uh, even 30 years hence, I still don't know that they've actually earned bringing back Jean Grey. You know, I feel like they haven't used her well enough for me to go like, oh, that's all right that you cheapened that story after only five years. You know, she was yeah. she was dead in real time for five years. Uh, but then I guess she died again and probably again. And Scott died at one point. But these are all these are all rumor and innuendo. The word on the street that I hear because I don't uh, I don't read the comics. Uh, although for a quick diversion, Marvel comic I am going to buy. Kitty Pride and Colossus getting married. I'm so happy yeah, for those two kids because because if, if they can make it work, that means that anybody can make it work. Good for them. You well, know. it's kind of disgusting though that a man would string a woman along for 35 years. Yeah. Yeah, well, finally, finally you're gonna get married. I, I want to know what age they actually are, because you know, obviously the we, and we've talked about this on the podcast. The relationship uh, was deemed inappropriate by management. I believe Jim Shooters uh, personally, although maybe he was gone by that. She was like 14 or something. Well, she, wasn't she, no, she was 13 and a half, and he was around 19, like <laughs> maybe 20. And uh, I, I don't know. I always liked them as a couple, but I was a kid at the time and I didn't really think anything of it. And uh, it is, it's not something you get away with now. But see, you know what? It's all, it's all fine because uh, he's, he's making an honest woman out of her. And uh, that wedding will probably uh, be right up there with, uh, well, I don't know. The only Marvel wedding I got really excited for was Peter and Mary Jane. You know. Uh, oh yeah, sure. And uh, I had to, I had to, because I, I think I've talked about this on the podcast. I subscribed to Amazing Spider-Man. I got it in the mail because there weren't really good comic book stores in my town anymore at that point. The the one of them had closed, so I had to. God bless my mother. She drove me around, just I'm scouring Seven Elevens and anything that sold comics to try and find it. I finally found it, and uh, you know it's. Uh, because the annuals not included in your subscription, uh, but uh, yeah, these oh, are, I didn't know that really. Yeah, these are these are oh. fightly uh, fi- like the Sports Illustrated Illustrated swimsuit issue. You gotta buy it separately. <laughs> exactly, uh, you know, and I, I don't know the the idea that I, I could see it was great. Although I never got the direct edition, I only had the uh, the sales edition. Uh, you know, it's Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 21. Uh, and I'm glad I looked it up because I was going to say 19 and it just didn't, it just didn't sound right, you know? Uh, yeah. but, uh, in any case, I, uh, there's, a, yeah, the, the direct edition I think is, is Peter and Mary Jane and like a bunch of Peter's friends and coworkers. Whereas the, the, uh, newsstand edition was him in the Spidey suit getting married. And that's, that's the one I had anyway. We're not talking about Spidey. We are kind of talking about Spidey. Uh, I'm just glad that uh, Sony decided to play nice and Spider-Man can be a part of a big movie like this. You know, I think that it's great. I mean, he does not need to be in space ever, but I'm so glad he was. <laughs> he was I, I love, I mean, look, Tom Holland is the best Spider-Man. Can we agree on that? I, I do agree on that. I, I like both of the other two in different ways. I mostly like Andrew Garfield with Gwen Stacy, like the scenes where he's not being Spider-Man. I don't dislike the scenes where he's Spider-Man, but I like him with Gwen Stacy so much that I'm able to overlook a lot in those two movies. Even, the problem with that is, too, is are they going to, 
Are they, do you think they're ever going to do Green Goblin? Because they've done him twice. Do you think they, they do him in this series? I don't. Uh, I, I don't know that we're going to get him, but it just depends on how many movies they make. Um, what I would do personally is I would just jump right ahead to Hobgoblin, who I personally prefer. But that's because of the era. That. that's the era that I read comics. You know. So yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, so. Look, the excitement level is high for Avengers 4. The excitement level is also high for the Captain Marvel movie. And uh, uh, I don't know. I've, uh, I've seen the movie twice now, and I'm very excited. Uh, you know, it, uh, it, it didn't lag the second time at all, you know, even knowing where everything was going. And, and I know you're trying to get out there to see it a second time, right, Rob? I'm hoping to do it this weekend if I can swing it. But, yes, I definitely would. I mean, that's a must. Yeah. It's, especially as a comic fan, there's... Even people are, are just love the movies, and I talked to my chiropractor. He loves the movies. Uh, he's going to see it this week, and he says, I'm probably going to have to see it twice, aren't I? I go, yeah. There's yeah, a lot to take in, and if yeah. you're like me, who's just grinning like you're 12, going, oh, I'm so excited. You know, Every time somebody says something to another character he's never met before, I love all that stuff. Yeah, I, lo- I, I love people meeting each other, and I, I'm a sucker for crossovers. I've definitely talked about this before. Like To the extent that I really enjoyed the Flintstones and the Jetsons. I don't care. I love crossovers. It's great. My favorite line in the film is uh, when Doctor Strange, uh, he says at the banner, when Banner can't hulk up, he can't hulk out. He says, dude, you're embarrassing me in front of the wizards. Yeah, I, I did. thought that was the funniest thing. That was fantastic, yeah. And uh, also, uh, Tony had a great uh, line when he said, like, hey, Squidward. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Tony always gets the best lines, you know. That's that's well, really the way. He's it goes. the man. He's the king of Hollywood. Uh, well, in uh, in our final moments here, uh, we've got uh, Deadpool coming up. Uh, are you excited for Deadpool? Deadpool two, obviously. Are you excited for that film? Getting to see Cable and some X Force characters. Are you Are you sitting down? Yeah. I don't care about Deadpool. Not a fan. Did you not like the first movie, or were you? I I I don't like. I don't care about Deadpool. Okay. I've never liked him in the comics. I liked the movie. I thought it was good, but I'm just it's I'm in I'm kind of indifferent to it. I probably won't even see this in the theater. Unless my friends drag me out like they did the last one. Right. I don't know. Well, I would but drag I, I would I drag you out except uh, uh geography doesn't cooperate. What if I liked it Yeah, a 4-hour flight then you can come drag me out. Yeah, as much as I, I honestly don't care about. As it. much as I enjoyed the character in the first movie, uh what I my big takeaway from the first Deadpool was just, uh, I was finally glad to see Colossus done well. I know they made him, uh, you know, a bit of a joke, but that was his personality, is that he's, you know, just saying that. I just was like, great, because they'd never handled him well in the X-Men movies. So, it's cool that he had a Russian accent. Yeah, right, exactly. You know? That's a big deal in the comics. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, uh, Will pointed this out, and it was very clear the second time I saw it. Wasn't it great that they told Elizabeth Olsen, just, just stop with the Russian accent, don't even try anymore, Okay. Her, her Sokovian accent or yeah, whatever. Well, yeah, what, you're right. Her Sokovian accent. They're just like, no, that's okay. You don't, you don't need to do that. You, you've, you've been around Americans long enough. You've, you've, you put a hex spell on yourself and you're American now. Okay. Well, that's kind of how I took it. Like, you know, if was it, uh, oh my God, I forgot her name. Anna Kornikova. Right. The tennis player. You see a lot of these tennis players come over from Russia and they're, they no longer, they live in LA. They don't have accents anymore. So I'm right. like, yeah, I did the same thing. I said, well, she was living in New York with the Avengers. <laughs> so she lost the accent. I'll buy it. I don't care. Just go. F- I, and I like the character and I love her. I think she's great. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, she's, she's the pretty Olsen sister. You know, who knew that there was one? Where was she hiding yeah, all this time? You're right. She's gorgeous. Um, as is Paul Bettany. 
I just wish he'd drop his fake accent. Yeah, but, um, and he'd and he'd stop uh, being all red. He was so handsome when he was a man. Uh, uh, but uh, back to Deadpool for a moment. Yeah, the the surge of Deadpool in the comics is after the time where I was actively reading. Uh, I remember him being introduced, and then because other people liked him, I've, I'd read other stories where I'm like, oh, so he's like, he's like a break the fourth wall like jokey character, which. Uh, the only time that I ever really appreciated it was John Byrne did a She-Hulk series where she was very aware sure. that she was in a comic book, which I actually thought was great. And they were able to play it off really well because she'd reference something about, you know, page counts or panels and stuff. And all the other characters were like, well, you always knew about that stuff. You know, it was like nobody understood what she meant. And uh, yeah. I, I don't know. But anyway, so I th the Deadpool that I really like is movie you know, Deadpool one Deadpool. That's how I get to know him like sure. really well. And, uh, I'm excited for it, but I, uh, the, the Liefeld verse, that version of new mutants into X-Force is, you know, as a kid, I love that style, but it was definitely the beginning of the end with the, the artist controlled, uh, storytelling, uh, at least those artists in particular. And I, uh, so it's, it's more like, Oh, that'll be interesting. But I get way more excited about a, a Spider-Man movie, but, uh, that'll be interesting that you, uh, may not see Deadpool. What if I tell you it's really, really good? Then I probably go. Okay. But I probably, yeah. If everyone's like, Oh, it's better than the first one. I'm like, yeah, I'll go. Why not? Yeah. I mean, you know, it, 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 you got solo that comes out the week after. Are you going to see that? I'm actually excited for that. I know a lot of people aren't. Uh, the Last Jedi was a big bump in the road, I think, for the franchise. A film I enjoyed seeing. I think it is painfully stupid. It's a, it's the first dumb Star Wars film. If you want to analyze it, it's really dumb and it's horribly written. And I think they made horrible. That what's his name? Uh, Ryan Johnson made horrible decisions. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> I love that it was uh, late breaking news. Yeah, Lurch's opinion on Last Jedi. Yeah. That said, I, they're they're into making money now. Disney has turned this into a product. Say yeah. what you will about Lucas, he was always telling a story. It just happened to sell a lot of product. Yeah. Disney does is all about selling product and basically, you know, kind of virtue signaling, and that's yeah. what they're doing now. I'll still be there every film, uh, and I'm looking forward to this. I think the solo, the kid playing solo, has taken a lot of flack because he has a higher voice, but I don't really care. He's a younger Han Solo. I'll roll with it. Yeah, I'm willing to roll with it. But when I see the trailer and what I said about this, I, I don't know if I've said it on the broadcast. I love everything about the trailer, especially Lando and Chewie. Yeah, he looks cool. I love everything except Han Solo. I'm just like I. <laughs> I'm very underwhelmed by him, but you know what? In the movie, it might work, you know, out of context, you know, a couple seconds here and there might not work at all. I do like his banter with Chewie about like, wait a minute, you're 190 years old. You look great. So yeah, there's a, there's fun. potential. So, well, anyway, uh, speaking of living up to potential, our guest, Rob Lorich, definitely uh, knocked it out of the park here. Rob, where do people find you on Twitter? They should follow you. I don't even remember. Just look up Rob Lorich, and then if you see Vincent Price as Egghead from Batman, that's me. Yeah, that's that's really all they need to know. It's at R Lorich. That's is, is it? Because I always get, I honestly now get it. Yeah, well, because your your email is different than R Lorich, and that's why I had to make sure I had to look it up and make sure I was right. But, well, there's a fake Rob Lorich too, yeah. just like there's a fake Will Sterling, and I get I don't remember I don't remember if I'm real or fake now. I don't remember which one I am. Well, that's something that we will have to uh, tackle in the future. Uh, all Doctor Strange, he knows all. He does. He he's seen seen everything. Uh, he's like I said, he'd heard 14 million different versions of this podcast, but each of them will end with me saying thanks so much to our guest Rob Lorch. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at @rlorch, and we'll see you next time on the Blackcast. Cast.